about the state of Major League Baseball as we head into free agency, and in particular, I'm going to talk about Bob Nightingale's report that apparently Francisco Lindor is available, openly available and will likely be traded before opening day, at least so he claims, and I mean, we know Bob's history, but uh, that seems to that seems to fit given Cleveland's team context anyway, so we will roll with that for the time being. Look, before we get more into Lindor, look, we gotta realize it's about to be a dark time for baseball as far as the monies and uh, as far as the player. Like, if you are a free agent in this in this economy and you just had a great year, I, I feel bad for you. Like, yeah, you're gonna be rich. We understand that. Blah blah blah. But you worked your butt off to get to get to free agency and you becoming a free agent in this market just is not it so I feel bad for, for them from that perspective it, it might be tough sledding for them like if you are a fan who wants to see your favorite team retooled and upgraded like this might not be the off season for you because I mean we have seen the, the, the Oakland A's, the Oakland A's uh, let Liam, Liam Hendricks and Marcus Simeon go without extending qualifying offers. Marcus Simeon was third in the MVP voting just last year. Granted, he didn't have a great 2020, and that, I mean, a lot of people didn't, so whatever to that. But he was, in the last full season that we played in baseball, Marcus Simeon was third in the MVP voting. Liam Hendricks is, is a great closer, and they let them both go without extending qualifying offers because... They are they are cash strapped and feared that they might take the offer because the the qualifying offer is one year and eighteen point nine million dollars. So they didn't they didn't extend those qualifying offers because they feared they might take them and they could not handle that. The Cardinals the Cardinals let Colton Wong go, arguably the best defensive second baseman in baseball. They didn't want to pay him eleven point five million dollars, so they just let him go instead. I mean. The market is full of good to great players that can help a team get better. But unfortunately for those players, as, I, as I've just alluded to, unfortunately for those players and the fans as a whole, the timing just isn't right. Because, I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of teams took severe financial losses this year. That's just the facts. We, we, we can... We, fine. Fans have made fun of teams for crying broke before and, you know... Clutching onto their onto their money like they that like that Dave Chappelle drift where he's holding the money close to his heart. But we've made fun of teams for doing that, and rightfully so. I don't think we were necessarily wrong for doing that in past off seasons when you know we weren't in the middle of a global pandemic. Like we are going to see a lot of teams crying poor. We already mentioned the the A's who. Uh, the, the A's who, um, who let go Hendricks and Simeon and we let I mean, mentioned the Cardinals who let Colton Wong go and Cleveland who we're going to touch on more in the upcoming segment about Lindor 
they let their all-star Crawford go because they, they wanted no parts of paying him $10 million. And furthermore, he cleared waivers because nobody, nobody else wanted to pay him $10 million. Now, that could go one of two ways. That could be about crying poor, or that could be about knowing you can get him for less. Or it could be both. It might it probably is a lot of both. Like somebody knows that yo, they can get Brad Hand for less than ten million dollars. So why pay ten million dollars for this guy and I don't have to? Or you might want to sign him to a more favorable deal that is more than one year, which is also possible. Like we we, we thought the, the major league baseball free agent period last year was, was cost conscious and it was to a degree. Like it was it, it was hey, people weren't going out there making it rain like James Harden in a strip club. For sure, but this year is going to be really cost conscious. Right, you ain't seen nothing yet with regards to with regards to clutching the purse, uh, clutching the purse strings. Like in, in conversations with you know my friends, you know people on Twitter, pe- people on social media, whatever. Like a lot of questions goes back and forth about you know what Major League Baseball might look for, might look like in three months or. Or, or um, like, who ends up where? You know, who signs here? Who gets traded? Blah, blah, blah. What What does the trade market look like? Like, given what the economy of baseball is likely to be, it's basically impossible to project any of this. Like, who to spend, for example? I guess I bring them up because they're my favorite team, blah, blah, blah. I know you hate them, so what? Like, the Mets. The Mets have a new owner who really appears to not give a fuck about um, touching the purse strings. Now, will he keep that same mindset? I don't know. It's impossible to project. Um, Cleveland's broke. Or they're, 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 they're already crime broke. So I expect them to, to move and shake the money a little bit. Uh, move the money around. Shake a little bit. But, I mean, are the Braves going to be buyers? Like, are, are they going to let Marcelo Zuna walk because they can't pay him? Like, there, there's a lot of different things going into the trade and the free agent market. It's impossible to actually project this with any kind of with with any kind of accuracy whatsoever. Uh, like, unless you're just that good at this. Because I mean, I read a piece on the Athletic. Um, and what they might get and who they might get it from and it was all over the place like I saw one like Trevor Bauer who, who was arguably the best player on the market I, I would say George Springer is but Trevor Bauer is the best pitcher on the market and I saw one guy had him getting 3 for 64 the Knicks had him getting like 7 for 140 which I, I think that's very unlikely and and then you had one having him get one for thirty one. I'm like, I don't think anybody's holding him one for thirty one. I, I can say that pretty confidently. The rest, I mean, I I doubt he gets seven for one forty, but I guess we'll see. But um, back back to Cleveland. Like according to um, according to Bob Nightingale, as I mentioned before, like they have made it clear that that uh, he's available. Now, he is in his final arbitration year before having the ability to hit the open market, and he projects to make 20 plus million dollars. Now, as we alluded to in the opening, that might be a non-starter for most of baseball, considering everybody is crying broke. Like, everybody besides the Mets, apparently. Everybody besides the Mets, apparently, is crying broke. That was, um, that was tweeted out, uh, that was a quote tweeted out, um, Attributed to Trevor Bauer's agent. I do not remember her name off the top of my head. I am sorry, but I saw the tweet. It, it existed. It happened. 
Now, under similar circumstances, right? Well, similar as far as you know the caliber of player and the and the situation with the team, the Dodgers did successfully trade for Mookie Betts and extend him. Now, I mean, we've had a, a pandemic in between then and now, so there's no real precedent for what is going on currently when you add up all the context. But we did see a star player get traded last year. Now, Mookie is way better than Francisco Lindor. No offense to Lindor, but Mookie is a generational talent that, that Lindor just is not. Sorry to say it. He's just not. He might be the best shortstop in baseball. He probably is. But he's not a generational talent on that level. Like, Lindor has said on multiple occasions that he will sign for the right price. Multiple occasions. Like, and I mean... I guess that goes, that's kind of a Magic Johnson quote. <laughs> that's kind of that's really obvious. Like, yes, we know you will sign for the right price. Now, what the fuck is the right price is the question, and nobody knows that because he's never said it. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Louder. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Teams might. The, the Cleveland might. The Yankees might. The Mets might. Teams who have talked to his agent about the possibility of acquiring him might. We don't know. So all we are doing is guessing for the most part. We just know he wants a lot of damn money. That's it. And we, we don't know like we don't know if his mind has changed. We don't know like, okay, it, in the middle of a pandemic, is he willing to bend a little bit on his demands? Like, is he willing to take less years and maybe reset his market, like, four years from now? We don't know. Like, Lindor, players like Lindor don't exactly become available every day, as I said. And somebody of his talent can go a lot of different ways and make it profitable for himself. He can sign a three-year deal with a player option if he wants. He can sign a seven-year deal. He, he can sign a one-year deal if he wants. I don't think he would. But if he signs a one-year deal and decides, okay, I'm going to reset my market when, you know, the earth is not in shambles, then, you know, when America's not in shambles, then, you know, he could do that. Like, Cle Cleveland's leverage as a whole is an interesting talking point because, I mean, with a player like Lindor, you're always going to have some kind of leverage because, I mean, it's not every day you that somebody like that becomes available. Like... With that said, as I mentioned before, with the Mookie Betts trade, um, only two teams really actually showed interest, and it was L.A. and San Diego. Like, with each passing day, leverage works against Cleveland. Like, him him re-signing in Cleveland isn't happening, obviously, because, you know, Cleveland ain't got no, ain't, ain't got no ends. I'm so broke, if a nigga robbed me, he'll just be practicing. <laughs> so... While waiting until the All-Star game sounds good in theory, Cleveland would be dealing from a position of even less power than they already have now. With all the uncertainty going on, Cleveland's leverage is not as good as it would be if this was a normal offseason. If, if this was a normal offseason with uh, normal budgets for teams and, and, and um, a normal trade market, you know, the trade market would be flush with suitors. We don't know. We, we we don't know if Francisco Lindor's market will be robust. If I had to guess, I would guess that it wouldn't be, because of all the uncertainty that I've mentioned repeatedly in this podcast. So I mean, 
like the likelihood of Cleveland trading him, if I had to put a percentage on it before opening day, is probably like 60-65%. I, I could totally see them being goofy enough to decide that they'd rather keep him than trade him for B-level and C-level prospects. Because I don't think they're getting A-level prospects for Francisco Lindor. Because why would you trade A-level prospects for a guy who's going to be a free agent? And why would you do this knowing good and well that there aren't that many teams who are going to be willing to pay him $20 million? So I don't think Francisco Lindor is going to get back a Gavin Lux because that would make no sense. Like I mentioned, look, I'm not saying the Dodgers are in the race for him, but you know, a prospect of that ilk, the Wanda Francos, the Gavin Luxes, people of that ilk. You're not going to get somebody like that for Francisco Lindor because nobody's giving that for a rental. Like people are not giving top prospects for rentals for the most part, unless you're the New York, uh, unless you're the New York Mets. And to be fair to them, Robinson Cano did have multiple years on his deal, even though I don't know if that's a positive, given how much money he's being paid. And then Edmund Diaz, they have multiple years of team control for him. But Jared Kalenic looks like he's going to be a star, so good luck with that. So, um, but back to Cleveland. Like we, uh, Cleveland traded Mike Clevenger not too, what two months ago, three months ago, however long it was, and it was a weird situation given um, how Clevenger handled uh, the um, breaching the the COVID policy with the team. So I don't know if that was like the the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know if they were pressed to trade him. I don't know if they felt like they had to trade him, but it happened. It was a weird situation, but it happened. And Clevenger had more value than Francisco Lindor does because he had multiple year he has multiple years of team control left on his deal. And Cleveland took the quantity approach to that trade. Instead of one or two headliner prospects or pieces, they got a whole bunch of okay pieces. I'm not saying they're right, and I'm not saying they're wrong. That's one way to go about this. I like Josh Naylor personally. I think he can really hit, and Cleveland needs people who can hit because their offense is dreadful. So I understand, and they traded for, I think, two pitchers from San Diego, and Cleveland does magical pitchers. So I'm not in really a position to question them, even if I think they could have gotten a better package. If they can make their whole bunch of okay pieces into one or two good ones through development, all power to them. I can't really sit here and tell them that they're wrong. I don't know if that necessarily gives us a peek into how they they handle the Lindor sweepstakes. But again, it's worth noting because it just happened. Like we, we have it on record. It's it's a it's a point it's a it's a point to look at. Like okay, well, here's what happened when they they faced a similar situation. Even though it was mid-season instead of off-season. So with that said, I'm gonna I'm gonna spotlight three teams that I feel like I can see taking a run at Lindor. Two are the obvious, and one is kind of a dark horse. I don't think is necessarily likely, but I could see them coming out of left field. Um, the Yankees um, are are the first team I see in the Lindor sweepstakes. Look. Glaber's defense at shortstop was a whole mess. But, I mean, Lindor is available now for trade. or he's av- And or he's available in the offseason as a free agent. Corey Seager is available as a free agent. Trevor Sawyer is available as a free agent next year. These are next year's free agents. 
Um, the Yankees would never sign Carlos Correa, I don't think, but he is also available. Just going to put that out there um, for information's sake. So, they, they don't have to stick with Glaber at short if they don't want to. Because his, I don't think his development at short is important enough to turn your nose up at players like Lindor, like like Seager, like Story. So I could see I could see them trading for Lindor now, especially if his price, as far as the assets go, is reasonable. I could see him doing that, moving Torres back to second. And letting letting LeMayu walk. As much as Yankee fans would hate that, I'm fine with an infield featuring Glaber at second and Lindor at short. Lindor is a better player than LeMayu, and he's what five years younger than him. Like I I think we will live with Lindor as opening shortstop for the New York Yankees. As far as what they could trade for him, I mean, like uh, I mean, Clint is there. I don't think they're going to give up Clint now, especially after he had a breakout 2020 campaign. But he's there. Clark Schmidt should be acknowledged. That that seems to be on the higher end. Um, guys like uh, Austin Wells and and Luis, Luis Medina and so on and so forth. The Yankees have a bunch of you know, high velocity, high upside arms. I mean, they could give a couple of them, I guess. Um, I don't expect the Yankees to have to give up a Jason Dominguez for him. I don't expect that to be a thing, given, again, the, the type of market we are expecting. So, it, it should be interesting to see if the Yankees do uh, do dip their toes in this end of the pool, as far as Lindor's trade market goes. Um, the second one is also obvious, the, the Mets. Again, the Mets, the Mets claim, or at least um, claim through back channels and you know people who are close to the situation and all that shit, claim that the Mets are just going to make it rain. They're gonna make it. They're gonna make it rain. Like they, they just don't. They, they don't have any financial restrictions. Da 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 da. Everybody else is. Everybody else is crying broke, and the Mets are clearly not. Allegedly, so could I see them move, moving Ahmed Rosario off of shirt? I, yeah, I, I, I could. If they, if they deem that they want to come out and they want to make a statement in in the first year of Steve Cohen's ownership. I could totally see them doing something like trading for Lindor and signing Springer, or trading for Lindor and signing Real Muto, or signing Bauer and trading for Lindor. I, I could totally see them doing that. They have plenty of prospects. Uh, they have plenty of intriguing prospects that they could that they could trade. You know, they have the Matthew Allens of the world. They have um, they have uh, what's, what's that shortstop's name? Uh, Ronnie Mauricio. They have Brett, they have Brett Batty. Batty. I don't know if pronounce his name, but. They have him. Um, they have the the Pete Crow Armstrong guy that they just drafted. They have a lot of. I, I don't know if it's going to take a high end prospect like that. I don't think so. But the Mets have a lot of prospects that they can move in a deal for Lindor that are intriguing. And also, I mean, they have re- everyday regulars. If the Indians want to go a, a more win now route, like J D Davis is there, Brandon Nimmo's there. Like the Mets can move people like that. For Lindor as well, so the Mets, the, the Mets basically—it's it, kind of cheating to mention them because realistically, every single top free agent, the Mets should be in on, given their context and given their owner's context. Every single top free agent, the Mets should be in on. That's it. Period. Springer, Realmuto, Bauer—you name it—they should be in on it. Not not saying they're going to sign all of them, even though that would be funny, but they should be in. 
they should be in the discussion for all of them. Um, the third team in the fi- and the the dark horse here to me is the Reds. Now, the um, this is kind of contingent on them re-signing Trevor Bauer. I don't know if that's going to be a thing. I would doubt it personally, but let's say for the argument's sake they re-sign Trevor Bauer, right? I could and the the Reds have a glaring need at short, even though I like their prospect um, Jose Garcia, but I, I don't know what he is or what he isn't. As of today, the Reds have a glaring need at shortstop, and well, Francisco Lindor, as you know, he he's a he's a Hall of Fame level shortstop. We we have established this. Um, I don't know what their 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 farm system looks like. I mean, I know they have the Hunter Greens of the world, and I, Nick Senzel. I don't know what's going on with him. Nick Senzel, rather, I don't know what's going on with him, but um. I could totally see the Reds being uh, just throwing caution to the wind, saying, "You know, fuck it. We're tired of being mediocre." Blah blah blah. You know, we we will pay for a rental and let him walk. I could see them doing that. I could see them paying paying rental prices for Lindor, saying, "Okay, we'll put the twenty million. We'll eat it for a year, and then we'll see how it goes. Like, if, we'll see if he wants to resign or whatever. But we're mostly in it to try and improve. And I'd respect it personally. Like, as long as you're not giving up top prospects for him." I could totally like uh, um I I'm assuming that Austin Hendrick would be off the table in these kind of talks, but you know, assuming you don't give up a top level prospect for him and you just want to make it a pure rental, I, I would respect that from the Reds' perspective because you're trying to win, and, and I I can't I could do nothing but respect it. I can see them doing it. Um, I would have said the Braves, but Dansby Swanson made some some strides this year, and he looks, you know, he looks good enough to to the point where that's not really a need for them. And if you don't need a shortstop, you're probably not going to spend twenty million dollars for one in this economy and give up prospects to do it. You're you're probably not going to do that. So I mean, it shall be very interesting to see how Francisco Lindor's trade market develops. And, and where he ends up. Because, you know, Lindor is a game changer. Regardless of the, the average-ish year that he had this year, he's a game changer at short. He's elite on both ends. Or, well, I don't know if he's an elite offensive player, but borderline elite offensive player, elite defensive player. Like, he's very marketable. Like, good-looking dude, good smile, blah, blah, blah. You know, put him on billboards. You know, you, you have him in commercials all the time on your local TV networks. He's a great player, and he's very easily marketable. I know baseball doesn't do marketing well, because I don't. I mean, I don't know why they they just refuse to market their own players. But locally, you you can make a killing off of marketing Lindor. Well, that's that's it for episode nineteen. I am Kevin Lewis. Rate, review, subscribe, and I'll see you when I see you. Thank you for listening.